Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And the Oscar goes to... Oh, thank you so much. This might be the one time I'm speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope? And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object is Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to everything, everywhere. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 338 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host Matt Negley. The time of recording is 10.04 a.m. on April 9th, 2023. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Lauren Cohen. Hey everyone. Giovanni Lago. Hello, hello. And joining us as a guest here on the podcast for the first time, I believe. I don't know. I've been doing this show for many, many years, and it's hard to keep track sometimes. But either way, very, very excited to have here Carl De Los Santos, everyone. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Carl, why don't you tell everyone that's listening right now, uh, right at the top here, where they can find your work on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Carl with a K underscore D-E-L-O. Uh, I also am film critic at Smash Cut and an editor at The Times. So find me across the Internet. Carl is one of my favorite people out there. I love following him during uh, the film festival season and just all throughout the year in general. Carl, you've been to Cannes before in the past. Uh, a, a little on the fence for this year, though, I imagine. A little on the fence, uh, have a little event that is my sister's wedding that is uh, <laughs> taking up some of my time, but I'm hoping I can make it out to the Crescent again. Well, we hope you can make it out there too, but we're very, very happy to have you here to talk about this week's main topic, which is what are the films that are going to be announced on April the 13th for the 2023 Cannes Film Festival? If you are listening to this episode after April 13th, then I apologize for how embarrassing our picks might sound here, but... If you were listening beforehand, hopefully we can give people a snapshot preview of the films that we are most looking forward to hearing getting announced for this week. We are also going to be going over three trailers for three separate 
very stylistically different action films here. We have Hypnotic from Robert Rodriguez, Extraction 2, and Blue Beetle, a new character within the DC cinematic universe or the extended universe or whatever they're calling it nowadays. We'll go over to polls, we'll answer fan questions, but before we get to any of that, I do want to know what everyone has been watching this week in the movie theater or streaming at home. Giovanni Lago, let's start off with you. What did you catch this week? Uh, my week wasn't uh, massively busy. I've been so catching up on TV. So I will say the two movies I did watch, the first one was uh, Rye Lane, which is the most charming thing I will probably see all year. Uh, I love the colors, how eccentric it is. It's a directorial debut, which for a first-time film shows off so much style. And it's also like the most geocore movie. Because it's just hopeless romantics walking around all day, and it's a rom-com. So, go see it. And then the other film I saw was Air, which is the dad film of the year. Congrats. You won. I'm ready. Ben and Matt are fantastic together. Uh, Jason Bateman's great. Uh, There's a monologue he has that I wasn't expecting to be, like, emotional. And it really gets you. As soon as, like, the first song started playing during the production credits at the beginning, I was already fist pumping. Uh, this is the mid-budget drama we all need in movies. I loved it. And besides those two films, I watched Beef. A 10 out of 10. I, it's, I love it. I adore it. I think Stephen Young and Ali Wong are phenomenal. And it's this really hypnotic and twisted uh, way of fate of these two people meeting through a road rage incident and gleans into further about like their past traumas and and the way they've been um, just really put down their whole life. And it is just each episode goes on. It gets crazy and crazier. But uh, besides that, yeah, slow week, but it's going to step up pretty, pretty soon. And if you want to hear more about our television discussions, we recently relaunched Next Best Series, which we're doing on a biweekly basis here on the podcast. So if you want to hear us talk about shows such as Beef, Barry, which is coming up pretty soon, the latest ongoing season of Succession, and oh, so much more, including everything to do with Emmy Award season, head on over to those episodes and make sure you give those a listen. Lauren Cohen, over to you. What did you catch up with in the theater or at home on streaming this week? Yeah, so it's been a pretty light week for me. I re- I saw Air again because I saw it at an early screening. And, um, you know, people can listen to the podcast. We talked about it yesterday, but I absolutely adore this movie. I'll probably see it for a third time. Um, I just love it. And because I loved Air so much, I decided to rewatch Goodwill Hunting because I just needed more Matt and Ben in my life. And, you know... Every time I watch that movie, I'm reminded of why it's one of my all-time favorites. And I rewatched Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And, you know, I did have a binge watch of Love is Blind, which I'm sure you won't be talking about on the TV podcast. <laughs> hey, you never know. Come and guest and maybe you get a chance to talk about it. <laughs> Best trash show ever. All right, Carl, how about you? Same question in the movie theater or at home. And uh, if you're under an embargo, please do not break that embargo. <laughs> <laughs> there is one movie I did see under embargo, which I am dying to talk about, but I'm going to hold my breath. Um, I going three for three. I also watched air this week and loved it. I think it's, I do not know anything about sports. I don't care for sports, but I was also fist pumping. Like I also cared about athlete brand partnerships. I think Viola Davis and Chris Tucker run away with the movie. Um, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about it for the entire year, but we'll see. 
Uh, I also rewatched uh, Chrissy Judy, which premiered at New Fest last year, the Gay and Lesbian Film Festival here in New York, uh, which is labeled as a gay drag queen Francis Ha, which I really, really recommend people seek out. A uh, really small digital release and potentially in theater release. Um, extremely relevant in today's climate right now, but um, so incredibly funny and poignant and entertaining, uh, highly recommend. And I also will never shut up about Beef, which I saw at South by Southwest and think is probably going to be one of the best TV shows um, of the year. Steven Yeun and Ali Wong do incredible work. So insightful about the Asian American experience, the experience of being an older millennial, uh, being a Los Angelian, and I think it's gonna really make a splash at the Emmys this year. Uh, and then lastly, I rewatched The Old Guard uh, in preparation for whenever we get The Old Guard 2. That movie slaps and people need to remember how good it was. Um, Nikki and Joe forever. All right, love that. I, too, watched uh, Beef this week. I will have more thoughts about that on our podcast for Next Best Series. But suffice to say, I watched it all in one go, and I liked it quite a bit. I highly recommend people do check that one out, now streaming on Netflix in its entirety. Um, I can now safely talk about uh, Renfield, which we'll get into maybe a little bit later on as well. Um, I will just say I, I wrote the review for that. So if you guys want to know my full f- thoughts, you can head on over to nextbestpicture.com and check it out. But overall, um, I thought it was silly. I thought it was fun. Uh, it wasn't anything special, but I had a sort of decent time with it. The Super Mario Brothers movie has created a lot of debate as of late in terms of critics versus audiences. I feel like every couple of months we have this debate here online and and all these different think pieces. I am just so sick and tired of it. I don't understand why people don't understand what the purpose of Rotten Tomatoes actually is. I don't understand why people don't understand what critics role in society actually is. It really, really bothers me. I didn't like Super Mario Brothers movie. I don't care if you think that I should have or that I shouldn't have. It doesn't matter. That is what I think of it, and that should not impact how you think of it either. We do have a podcast review of that, though. So if you want to hear me go into it a little bit more, by all means, feel free to do so. But just know going in that I was not the biggest fan of the Super Mario Brothers movie outside of a few bright spots. Um, I am embargoed from talking about Bo is Afraid, but... I can say very vaguely, um, it's three hours long. It might be the most uncomfortable three hours of your life. (laughs) I'll leave it at that for now. I can't wait. Ah, man, the embargo breaks on that one pretty soon. So there'll definitely be a lot of discussion around that movie. Uh, And I saw a movie called Mafia Mama, which I'm also embargoed from speaking about right now. Uh, but, uh, I guess the only thing I will say in regards to that one, um, in a very, once again, vague sense is that was aimed at a different demographic than the one I'm a part of. That's all. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. (laughs) 
So um, that's all I got on the film side. I, I've been doing a lot of TV catching up because as we you know ramp up these television podcasts for next best series, I want to make sure that I'm as up to date as humanly possible. I just watched Shrinking last night. I'm on to The Last of Us next. I'm doing my best to get through all the shows that I missed earlier in the year. I'm going to get to Wednesday at some point. Uh, Yellow Jackets, I know, has already started. Mm-hmm. I have to uh, yes. get caught up with that, too. So there's a lot of things that are happening right now. So I'm hoping that over the next week or so, when we come back for the next episode, next best series next week, I'm all ready to go. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. So now what I would like to do is I would like to talk about what we think is going to be announced for the 76th annual Cannes Film Festival. What we know so far is we know that Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese's latest film from Apple, carrying the biggest price tag, I believe, in Martin Scorsese's filmography. And if rumors are to be believed, also the largest running time Let's go. in his filmography, also approaching nearly four hours. Oh, Let's my go. God. Let's go. Listen, I, I will tell you this right now. I hear four-hour Martin Scorsese, and I don't groan. I'm not going to lie. It does sound excessive. It doesn't matter. No. I will <laughs> dehydrate myself. No, it's not that. It's just it's just that that guy can just do whatever the hell he wants, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> true. Just put me in the theater. I will sit there the whole time. No intermission. Just can, let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. We also know, too, that Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny, directed by James Mangold, the first film in the Indiana Jones franchise not to be directed by Steven Spielberg, will have its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival as well. So that's your big Hollywood blockbuster. They seem to have one almost every single year as of late. It does seem like uh, the team over there has been more open to programming those over the last 10, 15 years or so. And do you guys remember like Fast 9? played there i i know it didn't play like in competition or or like it just played like on the beach but still it's bizarre to me sometimes the kinds of movies that they uh program over there uh but at the same time you know it's supposed to be representative of, of filmmaking from all corners of the world right it's an international film festival and hollywood's obviously a part of that so you get your top gun mavericks you get your disney pixar like inside out uh playing there um so what are we going to get this year I think we can all kind of start off in agreement that even though it has not been officially announced, it pretty much goes without saying that Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, which we've gotten a trailer for, that's going to be announced. It's going to be in. Yeah. 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 I would be pretty shocked. Yeah. I mean, his last film went. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that uh, Asteroid City comes in, too. Now, Carl. Yes. What do you think of the possibility of Todd Haynes' May December possibly going there. I if if it is done, which it sounds like it is, uh, I feel 
good about it. The he did win for Velvet Goldmine, and Carol also won the Queer Palm. And the thing with Cannes is that they just invite the same people back over and over again, even if the film isn't actually good, as we saw a lot last year. So I would put money down on it. Well, speaking of a returning filmmaker where the movie is presumably not going to be good, we did get the announcement this week of what the opening night film is for this year's Cannes, and that's going to be Jean Dubarry, uh, directed by, am I saying this correct, My Wen? Sounds right to me. But my lord, the amount of controversy that has been announced in the wake of... uh, This film, just before its announcement, after its announcement, it's like, what is up with, like, the French and the Italians, uh, you know, with when it comes to Canon Venice and them programming people that, quite frankly, we just don't want to hear from them. We don't want to see them. We don't want, it. like, cancer culture doesn't exist, apparently, according to European countries. My thing is, it's not that I would have been that upset or even surprised if it was in the lineup. It's just when you put something in opening night, you're really putting like a hyper focus and a massive lens on it. So I was just like, of all the big movies that we know are going to be coming to Cannes this year, and we're going to discuss a lot more. I was like, that's what you chose for opening? Yeah. I mean, I think in their mind, I think uh, they probably think, oh, it's directed by a woman. You know, and they've received (laughs) scrutiny in the past of not programming female directors in competition before. So I feel think that that's their reasoning if I had to take a guess but at the same time you chose a movie that's starring Johnny Depp (laughs) it's starring Johnny Depp and I also just don't care like even if it wasn't starring Johnny Depp I don't know I'm just I was like I was like I I was just very like underwhelmed I was like all right here we go like you know it's like what an announcement to come off the heels of something like um Killers of the Flower Moon you know you just go from like four-hour Scorsese, which is going to be the best movie of the year, to to this, I was like, all right, whatever. It feels like they went out of their way to program this movie, which right. I I have no clue who was paid off and the jury, but I was shocked. Some of our returning filmmakers here uh, that we might see at the festival include Hirokazi Kureda's Monster. Anytime there is a new Kureda film, I rejoice. He's become one of my most uh, favorite filmmakers currently working today, uh, especially as I caught up with his uh, filmography in the wake of the release of uh, Shoplifters. That's when I started going back and catching up with some of her films. And I, I'm just in awe of the body of work. And I cannot wait to see uh, what Monster has in store for all of us. Yeah, I absolutely can't wait for that one. I think that's a pretty I think we could say that's a lock. Yeah, I would be pretty surprised if that did not go there. I think so. And I think Broker kind of was harmed in last year by being both a Korean and Japanese production. And so now that he's firmly set in Japan, I think we're going to see Monster hold on a little bit more this year than we did see Broker last year. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, and that that did hurt its awards eligibility, too, in terms of which country would submit it and then whatever films that it had to compete against for that submission. And then it kind of slowly died off. But Broker is a good film. Everybody should check it out if you haven't already. Uh, Then we have Ken Loach Mm -hmm. coming back. It's been a minute since Sorry We we Missed You. Uh, Ken Loach's uh, new film here is called The Old Oak. And I definitely expect this to be announced. Uh, Ken Loach is a can uh, favorite. Like Carl said, they typically tend to invite filmmakers who have been there. Uh, he's won the Palm Door uh, before uh, with um, 
the wind that shakes the barley and uh, I dangle Blake. So, yeah, this seems like a no brainer as well. Uh, Giovanni, are there any films that caught your attention that you're thinking could show up there? I would say I'm possibly thinking of poor things. Oh, my God. You know how much I would love that? <laughs> I mean, like the film's been done for so long. Like Landemos has already worked on. I'm pretty sure and is already finished uh principal photography so he's already working on another film after that like and i it's been ready so i wouldn't be surprised if that was announced here's why i think it could go there i think it could because based on what i've read about it in terms of the uh central premise and the uh novel that it's based on something tells me this is going to be not as accessible as the favorite and thus can oh, yeah. seems like a better bow for it than the fall film festivals. That's my current read on it. I agree with it. It feels more like a uh, killing of a sacred deer than uh, the favorite, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, also another one I was thinking of, I, I mean, we've heard murmurs about it for a while. I don't know if it's already is, is Pedro Almodovar, uh, Almodovar short film, the strange way of life going, you know, with Ethan. I'm pretty Hawk sure that's and, uh, confirmed. Pedro yeah. Yeah. That's definitely going. It's just not opening night. Like some people thought it would be. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, remember like weeks ago where we had those rumors that I was like, oh yeah, Oppenheimer's going and all this. I was like, there is no way that it would be that stacked because that would be wild. Can you imagine if Barbie was going? So I can tell you all right now, uh, I would be willing to bet you what is like a reasonable bet that you know that I'm serious. I'll bet you $50 <laughs> that both Barbie and Oppenheimer do not go to Cannes. No, they're not going, especially because Barbie's being kept under like lock and key. That movie is like the most secretive of secretive <laughs> movies. They won't do it. But, you know, I could dream. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't see Barbie going. I see that more as a commercial play no i i think a lot of these films that we're mentioning up at the top here are some of the ones that you know i i think that if you have like all these together there's no reason to then have an oppenheimer or a barbie um you could also throw in jeff nichols's new film the bike riders which we haven't seen a jeff nichols film since loving in 2016 which had its world premiere at the Cannes film festival so there's a possibility that we could that see this uh how do I say this? Sons of Anarchy uh, kind of period film, if you will. Uh, but it has a great cast here. Tom Hardy, Austin Butler, Jodie Comer, Michael Shannon, Boyd Hallbrook. Um, I actually think that if this is a pretty good hit, uh, this could be Jeff Nichols' ticket finally to some awards uh, season traction. But you know, that remains to be seen. And especially, too, if it premieres at Cannes. The only reason why I'm thinking it could premiere at Cannes is, like I said, because Loving uh, was there previously. That would be great. I hope it happens. Me, too. Me, too. One of the uh, filmmakers that we haven't heard from in quite a while is Jonathan Glazer. That's what I was going to say. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Under the Skin 2013. That feels like forever ago. Yeah. Sexy Beast, Birth, his other two films. There is so much anticipation for the zone of interest as a result of that. I mean, I just feel like the stature uh, in terms of his filmmaking and once again, it's not really a large body of work, but I just can feel that the 
reverence for Jonathan Glazer has grown in the years since the release of Under the Skin. So the zone of interest, I would say, is a zone of interest <laughs> for <laughs> a lot of cinephiles out there. Yeah, that that's one of my top most anticipated. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that one. I think it's a good chance. I think it's a pretty good chance, too. I would be pretty excited if that got announced. Can we talk Link later? We can talk Link later. Oh, yeah. You think it's going to happen? I, I'm, I'm going to say yes. You know, like, a, you know, I'm not I'm not super confident because I could also see this easily going the the TIFF route or, you know, a fall festival route. But um, it, it definitely seems like it's ready. And I think it'd be super cool to have a Glenn Powell back after Top Gun Maverick success. I think I think this, this could happen. I, I mean, I'm a huge Richard Linklater fan, so. This is definitely one of my most anticipated films of the year. Who does not want to look at Glenn Powell on a red carpet? Come on. I always exactly. want to look at Glenn Powell. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, what do we think of the Iron Claw? The Sean Durkin, A24 movie about the the wrestling family? I'm going to say no to that one. I think that will be held off for fall film festivals. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I it's no it. as well, but I, I could see it. I mean, knowing the true history of that family, because I... I was a wrestling fan back in the day. Uh, that's I think that's going to be a devastating film, like akin to something like Foxcatcher in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, OK, yeah, it, it, it's sense. possible. I could see it maybe going to can. But like when I say maybe I'm talking like 10 percent, maybe I, I don't feel confident about it at all. Uh, Carl, what about you? Any anything that we haven't mentioned so far that, uh, you know, you have particular interest in? Um, Jane Schoenbrunn has a new movie. Uh, they directed, um, we're all going to the world's fair, uh, mm. with A24 last year. And it would be a, a huge jump between Sundance and Cannes. Uh, their new movie is called I saw the TV glow, but they had such a big year last year with we're all going to the world's fair. And there are, can does try to program smaller movies as well. Uh, so I'm really looking out for them to pop up. And then also there's this weird movie from these directors called Sam and Andy, who I've never heard from before. It's called Love Me. It's Kristen Stewart and Steven Yeun, and they play a satellite and a buoy that fall in love. Uh, okay, you I, sold me. Hold on, wait a minute. Is this like a animated film? I have no clue, but I've heard whispers that it's that it's that they're gonna make a big splash somehow. I have no idea. I've just heard it, but I would love to see it. Also, Kristen Stewart and Steven Yeun playing a satellite and a buoy. No, I'm sold. That that sounds fantastic. <laughs> so I'm looking out for those two. Uh, and then lastly, Kitty Green, who directed The Assistant, is back with partnering with Julia Garner um, on the Royal Hotel. Oh, I love it. And Neon picked it up, and Neon premiered um, uh, Crimes of the Future last year at Cannes, so I could see them trying to do a similar route, um, taking it there first, getting some clout, and then premiering it in the summer. Oh, that's fantastic. I am definitely looking forward to that then in this case, because I, I thought The Assistant was really, really well written, directed, acted. I am so excited to see them re-team up again. That's great. Yeah. Any Michelle Franco fans here? You know... <laughs> Back and forth, love and hate. Cinema of suffering. I got to say, I really did quite, I don't know if like is the right term, like, but uh, New Order I knew it. was yep. memorable as hell to me. Like it really stood out in my mind when I saw it. 
And I, and I didn't really like Sundown that much. I was pretty let down by that film, but I understood mm-hmm. what it was doing. L- listen, I, I think that you could maybe make comparisons to Hanukkah, that, yeah. you know, Franco is like the new coming of, of that kind of style of storytelling. But yeah, I, I get that he's not everyone's cup of tea. Carl, do you have thoughts on uh, Franco? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> See, there you go. That's what I mean. In new film memory, I think... Uh, has a, a a good chance of of premiering and uh, let's see who stars in this. Um, I see Jessica Chastain, Peter Sarsgaard, uh, Elsie Fisher. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm super excited. That's a pretty big cast there. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. I think his it's only it won't be his second English language film. Well, I mean, Sundown I think also would count too. With uh, Tim Roth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in any event, though. Oh, right. We have uh, Chronic and, and Sundown? I guess so, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how Sundown is classified, if it's considered a foreign film or not, technically speaking, but it doesn't matter. Either way, that's a great that's a great cast there. And, you know, like I said, I, <laughs> I never know what to expect from that guy, but we'll see. <laughs> It'll be um, interesting. Yep. A random one, I just thought, I, this is probably going to be a fall festival movie, but just because... It had a secret quote. I don't know if this is legitimate. A premiere at TIFF and people were interested. The the holdovers. I was in her pain. I would also wager money. Yeah, it's not gonna. That that's yeah. gonna go to the fall film festivals. But I heard hype is real on that one. Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard Paul Giamatti is the real deal in that film. Yeah, that might be a major major uh, Oscar contender this year. That's like that's my early early picks for a, a best picture nom. What do you think of Wim Wenders uh, with Tokyo Toilet? I can't wait for it. If you've ever been to Tokyo, the toilets are crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to see a movie about that. I would like to see Wim Wenders uh, return to Cannes. That would be nice. Yeah. That would be a good one. Um, you know, I, I know he passed away recently, but uh, I, I would be pretty shocked if they didn't show the final works of uh, Godard. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. I think that's pretty much guaranteed. Oh, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't mention the um, out of competition premiere of The Idol. Huh. Is that is that definitely happening? Yeah, I, I, it's confirmed. Oh yeah. Jesus! Oh God! Talk about I, uh, yeah, controversy. <laughs> is it oh. can without controversy though? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we there's also Robin Campillo uh, who directed BPM Beats Per Minute. Yes, um, from 2017. He's back with Red Island, oh, which sounds yes. really interesting. Uh, it's about a kid in Madagascar um, who you know, experiences colonialism. Uh, so I'd be interested to see if that would make a splash. Uh, we haven't seen him in like six years. So at, at BPM uh, beats per minute, 120. I don't, I don't know. It has like seven different titles. Great yeah. movie. <laughs> Terrific movie. Very good movie. It's as it gets as many stars as titles it has. Yeah, exactly. Do we think that? Uh, I hope I'm saying this right. Uh, Laji Lee, the director of uh, Les Miserables, do we think that uh, he could be coming back with his latest film, uh, Les Indesirables? I would think so. A French director premiered at Cannes before. Um, was he nominated for Best International Feature? He was, yeah. That that famously got the uh, pick over Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yes, yeah. So I could see them going with him. Uh, especially if they're trying to have a diverse lineup. Um, mm-hmm. That would definitely be a, a place for them to go. Without 
bringing controversy into it. And then, you know, another female filmmaker here, because I, I, I imagine that that has to be a focus for them this year. Every year they keep getting shit for it. So I feel that we're going to get a couple of different female filmmakers in competition. Uh, Alice uh, Rohrwacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just had the Oscar nomination this past year for the short film uh, La Pupille um, from Disney+. Plus. Uh, she's going to have a new film here, La Camera. Camera? I'm so sorry. I'm not good with pronunciation, people. Apologies. But this is her returning back to uh, Italy here and stars Josh O'Connor as a young British archaeologist who gets caught up with a group of tomb robbers in Italy set in the 1980s. Sold. You had me at Josh O'Connor. Right? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> so definitely uh, excited for that. Neon is going to be distributing it. So that's how you know already it's going to be great. Uh, then there's Bruno DeMont with The Empire. I don't know if you guys are uh, Bruno DeMont fans over here. Uh, kind of hot and cold for me on that one, but I expect that one to be announced. I think another lock is um They Shot the Piano Player from Fernando Trueba. The animated film. Oh, you know, I love Can when they uh, premiere documentaries and animated films there because they do tend to be some of the most memorable of the entire mm-hmm. year. And considering that we're not getting the uh, Miyazaki uh, film, How Do You Live? I-, I would love to see which animated films they are indeed programming. This one, I think, is a, a good bet. Yeah. Hey, they premiere Trek and Trek 2. So <laughs> anything is on so the is table. It, is it confirmed that the Miyazaki's not coming? unofficially yes it's not Mm. gonna be there yeah all right i think that's a pretty good list there uh any anything else anybody any final call outs no i'm excited for this year i think it's gonna be a more stacked even though even though last year was pretty stacked it did feel really top heavy um and i think this is gonna be a more spread even lineup uh with some big directors and also hopefully some new talent Oh, one last one. I, I haven't really looked up the status of it um, lately, but anyone know anything about the Emerald Fennell film Saltburn? Oh, that's definitely not going to go to Cannes. What's the status of that? Is it still in production or is it is still in post? post? Right. Pretty sure it'll be ready this year. Oh. I know it got test screened. Oh. I know it did really well in its test screenings. And... That's about it. <laughs> She's my girl. I can I, yeah, I cannot I wait to see what she does. <laughs> you and you and yeah. me were were some of the you know, some people don't love that movie, but, I but was we a, do. I was a very big promising young woman fan, as many people know. Yeah. So me too. And she's she's Emerald Fennell's going to be in the Barbie movie. Is that correct? I mean, isn't everybody going to be in the Barbie movie? <laughs> right. Not me, yeah. but everyone else. It's so funny how it was the what second trailer for Barbie this week, and yet it was every the only thing that anybody could talk about. Pretty much. It overshadowed every other single piece of news. I feel like that got announced this week, even more so than Trump's arrest. More people were talking about the, the Barbie trailer than that. More people were talking about the Barbie posters than they were talking about anything yeah, else. <laughs> oh my, I made a list of all the, the accounts, like all the big corporations and big stars that put themselves on the Barbie poster. And it honestly seemed like it was literally everyone. I can't tell who's actually in the movie anymore because they're everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That damn poster generator. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Let's head on over to the polls here. Let's see what the MVP film community voted on for last week's poll, which was, which has been your favorite film from 2023 so far? So, going up until April 1st of this year, Lauren, from January 1st until the end of March, 
favorite film from 2023? Oh, boy. Um, can I say How to Blow Up a Pipeline? Does that count? Technically got released this weekend, so oh, that's key too. <laughs> um, so did Air, right? So that doesn't count either? Yeah, oh, sorry. Man. Oh, my God. So why are you doing this to me? Um, I'm so embarrassed. Um, sick. That, was, that wasn't in theaters, though. That doesn't count either, right? No, no, no. That's okay. That was a streaming title that was released in, the, in Q1. We can go with that. Sick and Rye Lane. Can I do that? Rye Lane was released in the last week. Yep, that's fine. Yes, okay, good. Sick and yeah. Rye Lane. All right, we got something here. Nice. <laughs> All right, how about you, Giovanni? What was your favorite? Uh, I'm going to have, as much as I love Ryan Lane, I think the best movie I've seen so far this year in the first half is John Wick Chapter 4. That is my answer as well. I I actually think it might even make it all the way to the end of the year in my top 10 because... I could see it too, yeah. Just, just looking at it from an action genre standpoint, like comparing it to other films within the action genre... I would put it up there with The Raid and Mad Max Fury Road and just like on that sheer technical level as far as what it's doing. Um, Plus also, too, I was very invested in John Wick's journey, his character arc by the end of it all. So, yeah, I I love that film. Carl, what about you? I actually would agree with John Wick Chapter 4, but I will also throw out um, 1001. Oh, so good. Just released. (laughs) Tiana Taylor gives... I would I she's probably going to be at the top of my best actress list at the end of the year. Well, we'll see how it all shakes out. But if you live in New York, if you uh, even if you don't live in New York, but it's just such a perfect time capsule of uh, New York in the early 2000s. Uh, and she gives a barn burner performance like that is that is a star is born performance. If I've ever seen one. I love it. Let's see what the MVP film community voted on. No, here. All right, so the top 10, starting off at number 10, is... Oh, yes! Hell yeah, 1001. Well, we did it. (laughs) We did it, everybody. I am just very happy that enough people saw it to list it. That is fantastic. Great performances in that movie. A really, really strong directorial debut as well from A.V. Rockwell. Very, very excited to see what she does in the future. Number nine, Missing. Did you all see Missing? I didn't, but I really, really want to because I was such a big fan of searching. So I have to get on that. I'm the same with Lauren. Here's what I can tell you in regards to that. If you like searching, it's pretty much the same formula. So <laughs> that's what I want. I'm 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 fine with that. Can't really go wrong here. OK, number eight. Tetris. I, I have not seen it yet. I, I do love Taron Edgerton, so I, I need to set it off some time to just watch it. It's definitely, I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but I think that it got here because it is widely accessible because it's streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, Taron Egerton is actually pretty good in it. I think that this is maybe, other than Rocketman, probably his next best performance that he's done yet. And it's just another great showcase for him in terms of displaying how much range he has as an actor as well. It's a very charismatic performance. Number seven. James! <laughs> Infinity yes. Pool. Yes, I still yes, haven't yes. seen Good it, but I have to. Where are you going, James? <laughs> that is forever, like, in, like, right in my brain. Like, it's just burned in there forever. <laughs> Who would have thought that uh, it would be one of the funniest movies of the year, too. 
Oh my god, I cracked off watching that movie. So good. I just feel really bad for anybody that's watched it that saw the uh the no, the the non-unrated cut. Is there an unrated is the did they release? Oh, I guess I never even actually thought about yeah. the rated cut. Let's put it this way. If you saw Alexander Skarsgård's penis, then you saw the unrated cut. <laughs> Gorgeous. We did it. <laughs> Number six. It's what she deserves. Megan. Yes. I got to say, as far as creating a new horror franchise in the vein of something like Chucky, but for a modern day audience, I'm down with it. I had a fun time with that movie. Me too. Sim- I'm, I'm, I'm very pro Megan. Very pro Megan. I think the unrated cut is also miles better than the, the theatrical cut. Seriously? Yeah, I just think I think you, that needed to be an R-rated movie. I That's at least what I wanted out of it. You know, we did debate about that on our podcast review. And now that I've heard you say that, I am going to make sure that my next rewatch of Megan is this unrated cut. Because I've only seen it the one time in the theaters, so... I am very, very excited now to revisit it, knowing this information. (laughs) It really only adds to the kills, but I think that's what I was missing out of it. I wanted more slasher slasherness. You know what? Same here. So, oh boy. Oh man, I am am very excited. I'm going to get my roommates. We're going to make this an event. (laughs) Number five is Scream 6. No! I love Scream 6. I hate that movie so much. I would really, really, really liked it. All the way up until the third act. It's the reveal that does it for you, isn't it? Yes, I hated everything about that reveal. I hated how all their performances just went so kooky and so over the top. I I could not get down with that third act. It was pretty horrendous to me. The ham ham is dialed up a bit during that third act reveal. But, I mean, everything up into it, like the bodega sequence, I just, just come out of nowhere. I think the change of scenery just really worked for the movie. Uh, there's a sequence with a ladder that I was like, oh, my God, this is I was very much surprised because I liked the last scream. And then I saw Scream six and I was like, that might be my favorite since like the original. That's what I'm talking about, though. Like everything leading up to it. I, I loved the I didn't like anything in it. The whole Whoa. Movie. There's Bro, not one hey. thing I liked about the new Scream movie. When Ghostface blasts people away with a shotgun, you're not into that? No, yeah, I wanted to feel so classic good. Scream. Oh, bummer. Ugh. But I, I'm happy you guys were happy. <laughs> okay. Number four. This is actually, this, this is pretty funny to me because anytime I see people talking about number four without having seen it, the reaction has been predominantly, this can't be as good as people are, are saying it is, right? Number four is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. And I agree, it's not a great movie, but... It was so much better than what I was expecting heading into it. I need to watch it. All you guys keep sending me the stuff of like the practical effects used in the movie. And I'm just every time I see another one of those tweets, I'm like, I need to, I should see this. I should watch. Yeah. It looks fun. I've heard it's fun. Like I, I it sounds like a fun time. I'll, I'll pencil in some time and I'll go see it. It's Guardians of the Galaxy set in the world of fantasy, medieval. It, 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 dude, come on. It's a win-win. With the superior Chris. With the superior Chris, yes. You cannot discount that. All right, and number three. Oh, man. I wonder if this is going to go down for people now, probably, in the wake of uh, some really unfortunate news about one of its key stars. But number three is Creed Three. 
yeah, especially when he shall not be named is, in my opinion, the best part of that movie. <laughs> yeah, it it's unfortunate. I still have no idea what's going to happen with Magazine Dreams later this year. Yeah, that is going to remain a huge question mark, I think, for a yeah. lot of us. That's uh, that's going to be a situation. OK. Next up, number two and number one. By a difference of 10 votes. Number two is Rye Lane. Yay! Yes. Love it. And number one is John Wick Chapter 4. Yeah, perfect. I love that. That is literally my list, so. I love that enough people watched Rye Lane on Hulu and loved it that much. It's just so damn, like, charming. Like, I felt like a a schoolgirl just, like, kicking my feet, you know? Just, like... Oh, right just back the rom-com. Yes. Yes. The walk and talk rom-com specifically. Okay. And then for this week's poll for the release of Renfield, we are asking everyone, which is your favorite Nicolas Cage performance? You can choose up to five on the poll, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to ask everyone to list off a favorite or two here. Carl, favorite Nicolas Cage. Ah, uh, gosh. Um... Pig. I'm just going to go with Pig. That's definitely one of mine as well, for sure. I adore his performance in that movie. One of the most surprising performances in movies, too, I've ever seen. Because I remember heading into that thinking, oh, this is going to just be like Mandy all over again, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, boy, was I wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Has more in common with the menu, if anything. Uh, I think for me, my number one has to go to Adaptation. His dual role as the Kaufman brothers, I think, is really, really good work from him and the kind of work that I wish we saw from him a little bit more often. Obviously, we've seen glimpses of that, like you said, Carl, with a performance like in Pig. Uh, But it just, once again, showcases uh, what a tremendous actor Nicolas Cage can be. Lauren, what about you? Oh, um, I have to say Moonstruck and Face Off. So (laughs) different types of performances. I know, but that's Nicolas Cage for you. Yep, yep. (laughs) Giovanni? Yeah, you, you pick my answer. Adaptation is that's just brilliant dual performance. I love it. It's so like sad and darkly hysterical and very profound. And I do wish we get more of that Nicolas Cage. But I, we got that with Pig. You know, we got that more like deeply profound um, acting. But like of the adaptation, he's way louder compared to Pig, which is a surprisingly more reserved performance from, like, the loudness we know Nicolas Cage to be. So, one more of that, please. What do we think of his Oscar win for leaving Las Vegas? I'm fine with it. I like it. Yeah, for what we, like, for who Nicolas Cage is in the zeitgeist, I think it's kind of the perfect win for him. Like, still has some of that zaniness, but also good dramatic work. I'm into it. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Um, I think it's a really, really good performance. I'm totally okay with the win. I don't know if at this point it's my favorite or I think it's even his best, but definitely top five, I would argue. Is it a bad time to admit I've never seen Moonstruck? Ooh, really? Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh my yes. gosh. Please see it. Please Incredible. See it. Like Lauren was saying Moonstruck, I'm just slouching in my chair. I'm like, oh, I <laughs> just just imagine for a brief moment, Giovanni, there was a time where Nicolas Cage was the perfect romantic comedy foil in a completely hot sort of way. 
Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. There was a point in time. <laughs> I need to watch and it. I need to watch it. And he doesn't have a hand on top of that. And he's still hot. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So yes. good. Uh, right. And you know what? Honestly, he's just a really nice guy. We honored him at the most recent Miami Film Festival in partnership with Variety. And so I got to hang out with him a little bit. And he's just a really, really cool person. I love him. I think he really appreciates because I, I got a sense of this during the pig uh, unbearable weight of massive talent, like like those two back to back press tours where you could really see that he has entered into this phase finally where he is more appreciated by critics and audiences, I think, than ever before. And you can tell that he really he, he loves that. No, he and he loves the fans. I mean, people were were so crazy. They were like, "Can you sign my Nicolas Cage pillow?" And he was just like, you know, all in for it. They someone came on stage and was like, "I want you to read this poem in your Nicolas Cage voice." Someone was like, "Can you rank my? Can you rate my Nicolas Cage impression?" And I think his answer was, "You are more Nicolas Cage than Nicolas Cage." Like he <laughs> he just is so able to have fun with the persona people have put on him, and was just really like a really cool guy. I do want to shout out a couple of other films really quick. If you have not seen these, uh, definitely give them a watch uh, for his work in them. Uh, Martin Scorsese's says he's bringing out the dead comes to mind. Uh, Bad Lieutenant Port Call of New Orleans, I know, gets a bit of a divided reaction from people, but I'm on the positive side with that one. Same. Uh, Raising Arizona, I think, is maybe his best comedic work he's ever done in his career. Uh, and Matchstick Men, I think, continues to be a very underrated film across the board in all levels. Anybody else? Any other, like, kind of special call-outs? I would just say, as a kid, I just remember seeing my parents have the DVD on the table all the time of Lord of War. So whatever you think of Lord of War, I just have that ingrained. I remember just sitting next to my dad watching it. So that's a, it's a good movie. All right, then. So head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote for which is your favorite Nicolas Cage performance, and we'll read that out on next week's show. And now what I want to do is I want to talk about these three trailers here, three very different types of action films that we received trailers for this week. First up is the new film from Robert Rodriguez, which had its world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival as a working project. It had not been finished yet. Hopefully it'll be ready in time for its release on May 12th here. This is called Hypnotic and it stars Ben Affleck. Let's take a look at the trailer. We'll give some thoughts. What is he? Your daughter? The park? Wasn't paying attention. Just for a second. Work? Think I'm ready for duty. Do you feel ready? I think it's the only thing keeping me sane. What's the call? I'm calling to report a bank robbery. Is this crime currently in progress? Today. See that guy on the bench? Do you have a lighter? That guy's up to something. It's very hot today. It's like a furnace. It's like a furnace. I, I understand Ben Affleck wanting to work with filmmakers that he likes, but... Man, when was the last time Robert Rodriguez made a good film? It's been a while. Can anyone tell me? Was it Machete Kills? No, or Machete the first film? I oh, yeah, God. probably the first one. Yeah, yeah. and that's if you, if, you, that, if you are into Machete, you know. Seriously, I, I I watched this trailer and 
I could just see like Ben Affleck. Like, I here's a guy who I want to root for so badly, but then he just either makes these terrible choices, either in his personal life or in his uh, filmography, where it's like Ben, just at this point in your career, man, just stick to directing. I think. Yeah, Aces as a director. Yeah, I, I I see some of these projects that he's choosing to do sometimes, like Deep Water. Hey, okay, I like Deep right. Water. Let's, I will let's defend. Slander there. I will defend Deep Water. Okay, Tracy Lathers two of us. You came to the right. All right. Okay. You came to the wrong podcast to talk about Deep Water. Check yourself, sir. My point being is, this looks like a generic action thriller that seriously from a visual aesthetic standpoint looks like it should be going direct to video in my opinion oh but you know matt that this is gonna kill on Redbox. okay <laughs> do those still exist oh if so i will go to one and get a copy of hypnotic and i will watch it and it will be a great saturday night listen it stars the king of Redbox, william fitchner okay yes as soon as i saw him i was like okay like this could be the worst movie ever and i'm still gonna watch it it just feels like robert rodriguez is trying to do like a like a tenant or something i i have yeah. no idea it looks like a budget inception honestly even though <laughs> with the dominoes i'm just like this looks like like a parody who takes the time to set up all those dominoes some poor pa what are we doing here people i hope this is good jackie earl haley's in the cast here oh my god <laughs> the more you keep naming people off the cast i'm just like damn i'm gonna see this yeah i wish i had more enthusiasm for this but the trailer did nothing for me and based on what i heard from south by from those who did watch the cut that was shown i've heard it's not good so sorry we'll see we will see okay next up going into the world of dc for a moment here we have blue beetle a new superhero being brought to the screen this is directed by angel manuel soto and it is going to be released on august 18th 2023 let's take a look at the trailer we'll give some thoughts here excuse me mr reyes you finished scraping the gum off that lounger or what? Oh. Everything right now feels so out of reach. You always land on your feet, bro. You're Jaime. They don't get out much. <laughs> I just wanna rap. Jenny? I just wanna rap. Guard the habits in your life, but do not open it. You went in to get a shops, and all you brought back was a hamburger? Okay, I don't think it's a burger. You haven't looked? What the hell is that? How did you get it to do that? I think he likes me. I'm loving the fact that this is not a Marvel film, but it's being marketed like one. To the point that I actually feel... Listen, I know we're all experiencing superhero fatigue right now. I totally get it. But I'm very excited to see a diverse cast such as this get their moment to shine and bring a freshness to the genre that hopefully will make this film stand out amongst some of the other ones that are just uh, constant sequels, given that this is a brand new character that we're being introduced to here. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to try to be positive. I would say Angel Manuel Soto's previous film, Charm City Kings, was really good. Really good. I agree. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I remember when he signed on to this, I was like, okay. And I do know stuff about Blue Beetle and like Jaime Reyes. I'm like, all right. But I watched the trailer and I just, I'm like, it's incredibly, I've seen this movie before. I've, it just, 
oozes the HBO Max like quality that like apparently was going to be on HBO Max before it was even planned for a theatrical run. And I don't know. But uh, like that's the thing. I, I agree with you. I also agree with the fact that I feel that I've seen this before. But also at the same time too, like I said, look at this cast. Yeah. And look at the fact that they're in a DC film and it's just giving them an opportunity to shine hopefully on a, I don't think anyone's expecting this to be a billion dollar grossing film, but hundreds of millions of dollars. It's a great opportunity, I think, for some of these actors, veteran and new alike, to get a chance to shine. Yeah. yeah and the, the costume looks great. Yeah, the trailer kind of reminded me of Bumblebee a little bit, um, which kind of, you know, feels into the HBO Maxness of it. Um, I, it looks fun. I think part of my, my hesitation is just, again, the superhero fatigue and especially getting introduced to a new one uh, got to me. But speaking of names, Pavel Pogorodzelski, who did the cinematography for Midsummer and Bo is Afraid, is the cinematographer on it, uh, which I think is just a fun little fact. Oh, I think it's hilarious how I watched this and thought that the visual aesthetic looked like every other superhero film that I've seen over the last 15 years or so, whatever it's been. And yet, then when I looked up to see who the cinematographer was, I had the exact same reaction, Carl, which was, you know, this just goes to show you that some some DPs have a certain style depending on the director that they choose to work with, but they can very easily adapt said style and become that stock generic studio polished look uh, if that's what's being asked of them at the end of the day. Because I think the work that, you know, he's done in Hereditary Midsummer. Hell, even, um, you know, uh, uh, there are other films like Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon, which nobody saw uh, fresh. I thought some had some pretty good work, even though it wasn't anything great. And I can't really get into Bo was afraid. But you can imagine based on his past work with uh, Ari Aster that it's very strong. So seeing Blue Beetle here on a visual level, like it just did nothing for me. <laughs> At least it looks better than Shazam. Most things look better than Shazam. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, too, right? Is that I feel like we've seen at this point the bottom of the barrel in terms of DC with both Black Adam, Shazam. I'm excited for the fact that this is, once again, it's a fresh cast, a fresh character. I, I did like Charm City Kings, like you said before, Giovanni. Adrian Barraza is also in this, too. I feel like I haven't seen her in a movie in... Well, I can't say since Babel because that's not true. I, I have seen her in other things since then, but I just really like that she's a part of this. So I'm giving this the benefit of the doubt. I'm going in with not so much skepticism, but with an open mind. OK, and then our third trailer here is for Extraction 2. It was a teaser trailer. Uh, this is the sequel to the 2020 film uh, Extraction starring Chris Hemsworth. Going to be released on Netflix on June 16th. Let's take a look at this one and we'll give some thoughts here. Hey. Move. Listen, as far as teasers go, I thought this was actually pretty effective. Very well done teaser. Yeah. I mean, I never saw Attraction and I don't care about Attraction 2. It's just not my type of movies. But like, really well done trailer. I love those long takes. I thought it was super cool. I really hope that they took the right lessons from the 2020 film, and I think they did because the 2020 film is not great. It really is not that great. There's one sequence in the film that got 
such a positive response from Action Junkies. It was a one-er shot, and my guess is that with the rise in popularity of Mission Impossible, the John Wick films, I think that they're going to be leaning a lot more heavily into more complex action set pieces with real stunt work, and that's what this teaser was giving me the impression of. I don't really like the Russo brothers that much nowadays, and seeing their name just getting plastered all over this trailer uh, just made me groan a little bit because I, I then started thinking of movies like The Gray Man. But if they can retain the same energy that this teaser had for the new film, I'd be down for it. I, I like seeing Chris Hemsworth in movies outside of the MCU. I think he's a pretty engaging screen presence overall. Uh, but if this can fulfill that action junkie uh, itch, um, uh, you know, I'm not expecting greatness here. Yeah, I think the two lessons it needs to learn are to not get too tied up in the plot. I think the first one just got way too plotty for something that is not that complex in the first place. And also, it's so self-serious. I hope this one has a little bit more lightness and humor. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe even not humor, but just even just like a campiness factor that John Wick has, um, where you have almost a slapstickness to the action. Then I think they have something on their hands. Um, I see the potential. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching the first Extraction and clearly thinking, oh, well, we're not getting a sequel to this now. <laughs> and then they came out with a sequel anyway. Oh, he's dead. No, he's not. He survived. How, you know, and then you watch him get shot up in the first one. It's like, how? How the hell does anyone survive that? It's pure muscle. It's pure no. Hensworth muscle <laughs> that just blocks his bullets. Like, he pulls a riot shield in this one and it's flipping dudes with it. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, the, the, the flaming hand, that's what did it for me. <laughs> he starts punching a guy with his arm on fire. I was like, this is ridiculous, but I'm kind of loving how they're leaning into the ridiculousness. That's the camp that I want. Yeah, give it now. Yeah, that's the camp that I want. I just need Chris Hemsworth to punch people. I need like a Henry Cavill reloading his biceps at the moment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that yes. Was, yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't know how badly I wanted that until you just said it. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm all here for it. Really effective teaser. Once again, I, I probably out of all three of these, this is probably the one I'm looking forward to the most in terms of action. Uh, Hypnotic is clearly just doing nothing for me. Uh, Blue Beetle, interested in its, uh, you know, like its premise, it's how it utilizes its cast. Uh, but this one, I I'm going for the thrills, baby. Let's let it rip. Okay, and now let's see what the MVP film community had to ask us for this week. Let's take some questions from the fans and we'll call it a day here. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.
Mitchell Fierce with Patti LuPone getting Oscar buzz for Bo is Afraid. Is she? Interesting. Hmm. Whatever theater actors would you like to see get their chance at an Oscars campaign? Ooh. Oh, wow. That's... Stage actors. That's a terrific question. Yeah. yeah. The first person that came to mind, and he started to do a little bit more uh, screen work, is Stephen McKinley Henderson. Yes. Uh, I maintain that he should have been more buzzed about in Lady Bird. Uh, and he looks like he's going to get some Tony buzz this year, too. I would love to see him get his due. He's been working so long um, and in like some bit film, film roles. So I'd love to see him make that jump. I know that it has kind of already started for this actor. But given how good the performance was in an OK movie last year, I'm going to continue to push Jeremy Pope. Yes. I think that his performance in that film was really, really, really good. And I hope that even though it wasn't received, you know, as enthusiastically as some other movies were last year, I hope that that, that does not derail any momentum to his career because my God, what a performer. There's also uh Corey Hawkins has also been kind of making the jump as well. Um, he was in the tragedy of Macbeth. Um, I would love to see him also make the jump. He's also been getting buzzed this season. Um, it's interesting because we kind of tend to see the movie movie actors making the jump to stage more than we see it the other way nowadays. Um, so I'd like to see it more. Sure. Yeah. At cool dude underscore today. If Napoleon gets good reviews, do you think that Apple could prioritize the campaigning of it over Killers of the Flower Moon since Ridley Scott still doesn't even have an Oscar and Martin Scorsese does? Uh... If Killers of the Flower Moon even gets hypothetically in the high 60s on Rotten Tomatoes, Apple is still going to continue to push it. It would need to tank embarrassingly bad. Like it would need to do the sun level of panning for Apple to quote unquote, give up on it. There's just so many names attached to it on camera, behind the camera. Like it's, it's like the Avengers level type project where everyone attached to it is just, bringing their A game. And I've said this before and I'll say it again with Napoleon for now, if you want to play things safe in your Oscar predicting pencil in one or two texts and Joaquin Phoenix an actor, because my gut tells me Bo is afraid will help with appreciation for his work in Napoleon, even though I have a also strong suspicion that his work in Bo is Afraid will probably be more critically acclaimed than his work in Napoleon, but Napoleon's just going to be the more broad, Oscar-friendly performance. I think also it depends which Ridley Scott we get for Napoleon. You know, either we get House of Gucci Ridley Scott or we get Last Duel Ridley Scott, and we'll see how both those turned out. But I think it's going to be really good. I'm hoping it's really good. Well, I've said this also time and time again when it comes to Ridley Scott. He's only as good as the screenplay that he has to work with. And his problem is I've seen him give interviews where the movie is awful. It's like truly terrible. And he'll say the screenplay was really good. And I'm like, how? How did you make that assessment, sir? Come on. I'm like, the screenplay was not good. And then there are movies where the screenplay genuinely is really good, like The Martian, and he has a hit film. So we'll have to see how Napoleon does in that regard. But for now, I, I would not 
bank on Napoleon doing better than killers in the award season run or just from a prediction standpoint, because I think on paper, you have to say killers will probably perform better critically um, and awards wise. Just given the track record of Scorsese versus Scott. Polls for life. Speaking of the sun, Florian Zeller's first film, The Father, was a masterpiece and his second film, The Sun, was a dud. Given that now he's considered a mixed bag, I mean, guy's only made two films, so I guess it's 50-50. How optimistic and excited are you for his third film, The Mother? Is he working on that right now? I I did not know this. Let's let's assume that he is. I still have not seen uh, The Sun, so I've been scared ever since I saw the reactions and everyone I know talked about it. I, I We don't know. There's only two movies in his filmography, there's still plenty of time. For all we know, maybe that was just one simple backtrack and Florian Zeller learns from everything he slacked on or didn't properly adapt for the sun. And then he uses it and makes a better movie. Uh, Oscar H. Some people think that Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny could be this year's top gun Maverick. Do you have any thoughts on this comment? No, (laughs) no, you don't have thoughts or no, it won't be. No, no, it won't be. I've been no. It just no. I, let's see if it's good first, okay? And even if it is, I it's probably a few texts. Like it's not going to be something that's like adapted screenplay and it's going to make like a billion dollars. Hey, and, hey, hey! Logan got an adapted screenplay nomination. Yeah, that was a James Mangold film that resurrected a franchise character and gave him a proper send off. Wasn't that also like a famously thin adapted screenplay? It year? was. Like we were trying yeah. to fill slots. This year's pretty stacked for adapted screenplay, so I don't know. It was stacked last year too, and Top Gun: Maverick somehow got in there. I think for Top Gun, I would say adapted. Yeah, I think Top Gun just rode the impressiveness of its action sequences, and I can't see Indiana Jones having that same impressiveness. Um, so I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no too, just from a. I don't think it's going to do as much money box office wise as Top Gun did. So no on that front. And from an award season standpoint, yeah, I I don't see it getting best picture. But then again, I didn't say that about Top Gun Maverick until I saw it for myself. So who knows? What I do know is I do know to trust in James Mangold. Yeah, I will say that James Mangold is pretty consistent. I just need to see the movie first before I make that kind of assumption because I I can't see a world where Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is a Best Picture nomination. But I agree with Carl though. Uh, you know, one or two tech nominations maybe. Yeah, yeah. Scott Kernan. Oh man, here comes a broad Oscar question. What is your favorite all-time Best Picture winner and all-time least favorite Best Picture winner? This is such a I, this I I hate that this answer is so so basic but just the fact that crash one over brokeback mountain will forever annoy me i think it's just the biggest the biggest uh trough between the quality of the best picture winner and the quality of the runner-up um and then for my favorite i'm sorry this is also so basic but everything ever like how do you go against that (laughs) that's just the weirdest most wonderful best picture winner in recent memory yeah, uh, my favorite of all time has to go to Lord of the Rings Return to King just for the influence that it had on my life. Uh, but least favorite, I'm going to 
co-sign you, Carl, with Crash, because we reviewed it for the podcast a few years ago. And when I went back and rewatched it, I was thinking, oh, maybe it's not as bad as I remember it being because in the wake of it lose uh, of it winning over Brokeback. Yeah, like there's this hatred that then builds up for it. But then you think to yourself, well, maybe the movie was good and we just hate it because it won something kind of like, you know. Like like the King's Speech, uh, there were some people who knocked mm-hmm. that movie for beating the Social Network, for example. But no, when I when I rewatched Crash, I was like, oh man, no, this this is not good. This is it's worse actually than terrible. I That's the thing. It's like <laughs> it's an actually terrible movie. I think so. Crash for sure. And I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this, but I really really dislike Birdman. Ooh, interesting. A lot. So I mean, I won't say it's the worst Best Picture winner because obviously I think there are like movies that are less well-crafted that have also won, but of my least favorite, I'd say Crash and Birdman. And for favorite, obviously Titanic. <laughs> but also, oh, shout I out. I that. Yeah, I mean, it's Titanic. I mean, that was like, I, I miss the years when something like sweeps like that. Like, it was like, a, Titanic was special. Um, also, uh, Silence of the Lambs uh, and Schindler's List. Okay. I'm going to switch it up since everyone just unanimously was like crash. And I agree. I think uh, probably a least favorite best picture winner for me is American Beauty. I am not an American Beauty fan. Do not like that movie. Um, I will say best more so because it is my favorite film of all time is Casablanca. Mm-hmm. I just think mm-hmm. like it's yep, just an all timer, you know, and then there's like Lawrence of Arabia's grade and then probably recent one I, I love the departed i know sometimes the departed as a best picture winner sometimes every uh, i see some people like be like mm, not really you know the score says he director win cool but not picture i think it's a good best picture winner so i'm gonna go with the departed i love the departed i love it Who de- like come on it's so great it's wild it's crazy it goes in very random directions sometimes but there's just like this controlled tone to it that scorsese keeps and yeah he directed the shit out of that movie yeah. Uh, Matthew Anderson, final question this week. If someone were to ask you to recommend a classic film for them to watch that's really special to you, what would you recommend? Wait, is this like pre 2000s? Yeah. I mean, I think you can go further back than that, quite honestly. But yeah, let, let's let's not pick something recent. I just said Casablanca. and I don't want to repeat myself, but I'm just going to say Casablanca because I have such fond memories of watching that movie with my dad as a kid. And I remember during the, the 70th, 70th anniversary at my local theater, which is not like the biggest theater. It's not an AMC. They were playing the 70th anniversary. And I came home from work and my dad was literally just watching it on like his work computer. And it just finished. And it was like, oh, playing in theaters. And I looked at Fandango and it was like, oh, it's playing right now. We could go in 30 minutes. Said, OK, and he watched it back to back. And I think that's just a very fond moment I have with them. And especially his love for classic films and Turner classic movies was such instilled to me as a child that I used to be so annoyed. I was like, oh, I don't want to watch this black and white. But like, obviously, the more I grew up and the more I got an appreciation for it and the fondness and I'll forever cherish that moment. So Casablanca. For me, a classic film that holds a special place uh, is The Third Man by Carol Reed, uh, particularly because... The twist in that movie, 
visually stands out in my mind so, so much. It's one of the classic reveal shots in all of cinema history. And I just can remember being on the edge of my seat from that moment on throughout the rest of the film. That is forever seared into my brain. And I remember watching it in film school. And the minute it was over, I immediately ran out, bought it on Blu-ray. And then later on, I don't remember how far after I bought it on Blu-ray that I found this out. But then I found out later that it was out of print on Blu-ray through Criterion. So I have an out of print copy of The Third Man that is like worth all this money, apparently. (laughs) Um, But yeah, very few films have ever been able to take me by surprise like that and then use that surprise to elevate itself to an even higher level of storytelling. Uh, Because a lot of times when I see twists in films, they usually don't either land well or I could see them coming. And then sometimes, too, the film doesn't properly utilize the twist to um, speak to its themes and what it's trying to do on a character level. But the third man just nails all of that. I think I am going to go with The Last Picture Show. I watched it at a time when I needed to feel like there was more to life than where you currently are. Uh, And I think that movie is so about kind of people and time and being in in purgatory. And then throw the the movie theater at the center of it um, into it. But I think there's so many of these really incisive lines about life and where you can go with it and where you can't go with it. Um, And it just, it, it gets to me every time. Sometimes I, I honestly tried, I can't watch it sometimes because it makes me so emotional. Um, And it's just, it's, it's like a two and a half hour thing, but it just, it moves, it moves like a dream. And it's a, it's it's so amazing and i love i love how it just kind of starts out with uh um the the like the title card where it's just like nothing much has changed it's just like yeah sometimes things just don't change so peter bogdanovich's best film in my opinion yeah absolutely may he rest in peace all right lauren i'm gonna go with sabrina (gasps) i love sabrina i audrey hepburn is just you know, I can't even I can't even think of Audrey Hepburn too frequently because I just like go into my Audrey Hepburn zone. I love her so much. And um, Sabrina, you know, it was remade. Don't watch the remake with Harrison Ford. Watch the 1954 Sabrina directed by Billy Wilder. It's just such a special movie in my heart. I remember watching that film and I remember thinking to myself that Audrey Hepburn was probably the most beautiful movie star I had ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she and she she's probably the most beautiful we will ever see ever. Like I just I don't think it's even a contest. There's yeah, I, there's no one else I think that's comparable. Oh, what a great romantic comedy. Like, oh. Yeah. So good. Okay, uh, well, that'll do it here for episode 338 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Carl, thank you so much for joining us here for this week's episode. I really, really hope that you're able to figure things out and get to Cannes this year. Maybe after the lineup gets announced on April 13th, uh, you'll feel more motivated and enticed to try to figure it out. I don't know. But tell our listeners one more time where they can find you on the Internet. Uh, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Carl underscore Dello. That's Carl with a K and Dello is D-E-L-O. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Absolutely. And Lauren Cohen, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lauren Cohen Film. 
Giovanni Lago. You can find me on Twitter at the Giovanni Lago. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.